welcome to MSP 1337. I'm your host, Chris Johnson, a show dedicated to cybersecurity challenges, solutions, a journey together, not alone. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of MSP 1337. I'm joined this week by Darren Mott, former FBI, counterintelligence, counter espionage, counter, counter, cyber, counter, cyber, too. cyber, cyber. Um, welcome to the show, Darren. Thanks for thanks for taking the time out. Chris, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So uh, real quick, we should plug. You also have a podcast. It's called The Cyber Guy, cyber, B-U-R, as in bureau. Exactly. Yes. It's a, it's a branding play because when, like when you it. join the FBI, join the FBI, when you get to your first office, you have your view gun, you have your view car, your view phone. At the time I came in, you had a view pager. Nice. So it's all, it's all that playoff bureau. Was it on so, a view gold chain? No, no gold, no okay. gold chain. Okay. No, no, It was just a plastic, little plastic sucker. And yeah. So as we were saying before the show started that we always try to talk about things that are cybersecurity related and you said, well, why don't we go broad and go like, Hey, why all the things are bad with China? And, and maybe that's a little bit of an extreme, but it's not necessarily wrong. And I think some of the things that we we did mention were things like why TikTok's bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I spent four years as a CISO CTO for a school district and man, what kid is not on TikTok? And and in fact, in U.S. capitalism, um, there's a lot of you know legitimate U.S. Uh, citizens that make a lot of money uh, through the likes of TikTok. And you know the the I think the good doesn't outweigh the bad. And and I'd love to get your insights on it. But you you mentioned some of your background, and I don't want to butcher it, so I'll let you if you would share a little bit about your background, and then we can go into. TikTok and other things that, sure. you know, resemble nation state and challenges that we face in the U.S. Yeah, I'll give you the real, the real quick overview of my, of my career. Cause so as to not to dwell on a whole bunch of stuff, but so prior to the bureau, I was a, I was a high school teacher. Ironically, you talk about high school. So I was a high school teacher and I was finding that I was having much more enjoyment in my teaching career, sending kids to the principal's office for doing the wrong thing or confiscating their cell phones <laughs> in class. So I figured maybe a different career path was best for me. So through a lot of different machinations, I ended up applying to the FBI. I got in, um, and my first squad was a, I got assigned to a cyber squad. At the time in 1999, 2000, cyber was still kind of new. You were only right. 12 years post the internet even starting. So, so were cell phones. Right, exactly. Yeah, they were still <laughs> yeah, still flip phone. There were no smartphones that right. come seven years later. Um, but you know, you're 12 years out of the Morris worm and all that kind of stuff. And a lot of the, a lot of the hacking at the time was largely nuisance hacking, right? Yeah. Sure. Mafia boy during the time I had a, a tangential piece to the mafia boy case. Um, he took down eBay and CNN and a bunch of, a bunch of other, cause it'd be a huge, a huge bot. So botnets were big. Was that not the influence behind the movie hackers? I don't know. I just I remember there'd be like so. a ten or twelve year old kid that hiked, hacked into a bunch of different things and caught. Yeah, that sounds know. sounds right because he was sixteen. And ironically, yeah. I'm connected to him now on LinkedIn. I actually oh, reached cool. out to him on LinkedIn and said, "Hey, you know, I because I, he's now a he's a white hat guy. Well, he's if, if once you're caught, it's really hard to continue sure. being bad. Well, and I will say, and this is getting off the topic of, sure. but 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 so um, Kevin Mitnick was yep. captured in. The Charlotte Division, which was my first division okay. years before I got there, but that was, the, was Charlotte's claim to fame. Cyberwise, at the time, was Kevin Mcnick was arrested, and Kevin Mcnick can't hack anything. Let's be honest; he's a he's a phone freaker guy, and he just yeah. lives off his reputation. But that's a that's a side note, anyway. So, but I, but um, and so, 
I worked a, a long-term, I had one of the first long-term undercovers in the cyber world, in the FBI, targeting the wear scene. If you remember the wear scene, these are all the guys that would distribute games, movies, software, all that sure. kind of stuff. All that pirated copyright, content. Right, yeah. All the pirated content, which still goes on today, but Absolutely. at the time it was there trying to get a hold of it. And it was a $6 billion a year loss and blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. So had some success there. Went to FBI headquarters as a supervisor, worked with the Russians, got to go to St. Petersburg and talk to the FSB. And you guys got Russian hackers and... You know, we basically talked a lot for two hours, went and drank vodka, got tours of their museums, and that was the extent of our trips to Russia. Sure. So it was a fun trip to Russia, but, it, you know, not, not yeah. a lot was accomplished. Yeah, you're honest. like, we're going to see a museum or we're never going home. Right, exactly. I, I saw the Hermitage drunk three times. It was great. Time. Nice. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, and then I went and was a supervisor for a cyber squad in, in the Cleveland division and started working a lot more nation state oriented cases during okay. this time. We had a bunch of cases where Chinese actors, state sponsored Chinese actors had compromised. And we had one case where they'd compromised a police station web server, a um, subway point of sale terminal, and a web server for a guy that sold tin signs online. So they hacked all three of those those areas and we were able to do some monitoring of them because we we found out that they were there and then we put these little boxes on that could track some information and they were hacking u.s government entities i'll just leave it at that sure i mean we, we were able to watch that for a long time that's kind of all the bureau did during that time was a lot of monitoring of this activity but didn't know how to deal with it so i ultimately went back to headquarters in the counterintelligence division now and took counterintelligence into the cyber division to try to blend those two things together, which I think a lot of we'll talk about is how those two things really are the penultimate threat, not penultimate, but the the big threat we, the company should think about these days is that blending of cyber and counterintelligence. Um, and then ultimately came to Birmingham, uh, the Huntsville to, in Huntsville is where I live now. That was my last station, retired a couple of years ago and work for a clear defense contractor now doing, um, running an opera, a cyber operation center. So that's kind of my history. So let me ask you a question show. before we go down some of the potential rabbit holes here. You made me think of something. So at CompTIA, we have the thing called the cybersecurity trust mark, largely based on CIS, but it's got some elements of other frameworks. And we we kind of packaged it in such a way because it was starting to sprawl on domains. And we, we took business continuity, disaster recovery, and incident response, and we put them under one domain. I feel like after what I hear from you is that counterintelligence wouldn't be a bad idea to include in that grouping because that's how you can become really more proactive and feasibly prevent, be more in that preventative state or at least, you know, catch or stop state of something that does come up because you've got those, I guess for lack of a better scenario might be like honeypots or uh, ways in which you you put traps in place so that it takes them it makes it look easy, but it takes them away from where potentially, say, as you said it, the the blue room. Yep, sorry, I had to cough there real quick. I had to mute no, myself. You're, you're fine. <laughs> yeah, but um, it caused so... you to really think really hard. Yeah, <laughs> no, right. Yeah. So it's funny because this week on LinkedIn, I my focus has been on counterintelligence and cyber. And I've talked about this for a long time. My master's degree was in cybersecurity policy and risk analysis, and I wrote this 20-page paper on the importance of counterintelligence for business. Um, it hasn't gained any traction yet, but I keep trying because I think it should gain traction because counterintelligence, you think, well, if I think counterintelligence, all oh, spy, we're thinking James Bond. It's really not that. If you think about cybersecurity, what is, what are cyber bad actors looking to do? They're seeking information, either 
from this, if you look at the CIA triad, they're either looking to make it unavailable, change the integrity, or steal it from you. So that's all, and all that is is intelligence gathering by somebody, be it a criminal actor, a nation state actor, or anything. They're, just, they're, they're gathering your intelligence. So what you want to do is create a method to counter that intelligence gathering. And right. there's a lot of tools that the government entities do in the counterintelligence world. Like the FBI is the main counterintelligence agency for the FBI. I mean, we try to stop the spies who come over here from stealing information. Sure. But businesses can do that too. There's plenty of tradecraft that you can incorporate, like deception, like honey, you talk about honeypots, right? Everybody thinks that's the first thing, honeypots, but there's a lot of ways you can really manipulate that down much easier into, let's say you have your you have the CEO of your company, your IT manager, and your security guy. And they say, okay, we're going to create this folder that's called top secret crown jewels, whatever. I mean, right. for lack of a better term. Like, and, yeah, but, I found the folder. <laughs> right. But no one knows it exists. Sure. No one should No one should know it exists. It's embedded deep in your folder, in your folder um, layout on your network. But you set a trigger on it so that if anybody accesses that folder – other than the three of you who know it's there, then you realize now you have an insider problem because someone's going into a folder they have no access or shouldn't have access to. They have and no it need can to really know only, it. it. can really only fall into one of three categories, right? Curiosity, because that, yep. that does happen. Sure. Uh, an outside threat actor, or yep. it's an employee inside your organization that's like, I need to know what's in there. Right. And if you take those, if you take those last two, like we talked about before, those are insiders. Right. If the outside guy's in your network, he's now an insider. In he's now network. an insider. He's You're now in exactly. the club. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, and and the nice thing now, honestly, the the in the bureau actually has a pro a, a program like uh, called Idle, which is illicit data loss exploitation program. Basically, mean there's a lot of different things you can do that are all counterintelligence oriented. That company that the bureau will help companies develop this stuff. And with with AI now. Let's say you're. Let's say you make a widget, right? And yeah. you get you got intellectual property around that widget. If you go to Chat GPT and say, "Okay, here's here's and here's this widget. Here's what this widget does. Yeah. Create a 20-page document that completely misconstrues what this doc what this item does, and and write it out and for then, me. So it'll write you a 20-page document about this widget that means maybe absolutely nothing." Right. You stick a bunch of those documents in that folder. Let's say it is a nation state, China being the most specific example, gets in there, takes all of that, exfiltrates all that data. So you watch them exfiltrate it, right? Yeah. They're going to spend cycles, A, translating it, because chances are the hacker is not going to read it. He's just stealing stuff because he was told to go steal stuff. He's not. So some analyst is going to have to translate it, understand it, and then push it up. So it's going to pull a bunch of cycles on their end that waste their time. We had, I'll give you an example. We had a case where there was a, a contract for a, a Navy contract and we knew the Chinese were targeting a clear defense, a couple of clear defense contractors for the IP associated with that project. So we had them, their engineers create this, this bunch of fictitious documents that built this, this huge naval vessel that would cost about $3 trillion if you actually built it and it would okay. sink. And it would, if you did build it, it would sink. Um, so the idea, awesome. <laughs> the idea being to put that on the network so that they would get stolen and they would spend all this time and research developing this three trillion dollar sinkable item. The problem we got into is the politicians. State Department was like, "Oh, I don't know if we can do that. That's ITAR." They called this fictitious document ITAR, and ITAR okay. stands for International Trade Something Restrictions. You can't, yeah. 
there's stuff you can't transmit to other countries but it's it's it has a lot to do with things like firearms and munitions. encryption yeah. encryption yep. and stuff like that yeah yep. so um so it says it was itar related you couldn't put it out you'd violate itar but how how my question how are you violating itar with a thing that doesn't actually exist but anyway right. it's politicians and then doj didn't want to do it because they're like well what if they actually build it and people die because of it three trillion dollars who's spending three trillion dollars on a ship no one is them I mean, come on man but anyway, yeah, like, wait, we're gonna we're gonna raise the debt ceiling for this document <laughs> right yeah but i mean but think about that from a business perspective it's easy to put those things together and be like you said be proactive in getting ahead of this issue with nation state actors wanting to steal your information. It's funny. I, I recently read a book called um, steal like an artist. It's by uh, it's, it's Austin Cleon is the art is the author. And it's interesting because to, to what we're talking about right now, because he talks about how, if you copy someone's work as your own, that's called plagiarism. If you copy lots of people's work, that's called research. <laughs> and, his, and his point was like, there's largely not a lot of net new ideas out there. It's really more about the spin that we put on things that makes them unique to us. Uh, one of the best examples I can think of is when you hear someone DJ music, they take people's work and then they add their own, you know, you know, pro persona to it. And I think kind of what you're describing is, is just that we're saying like, like take different things and mash them up and make them something that they're not in this particular case, and then put it back out there as if it's your own work and extremely valuable, but at the same time, make it relatively easy and hard to get to at the same time. Right. Like if exactly. I wanted to find the crown jewels and I'm looking for it, it doesn't matter how deep you bury it in a folder. If it's accessible by my my user permissions, I'm going to get it and get it open. Right. No, exactly. That's exactly right. Yep. So I, I think, think this, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I think a lot of people, a lot of companies, especially small, medium sized companies, they're just trying to keep the lights on. Right. So yeah, they don't even, yeah. they don't even, they, they think a, and this is the worst thing that it might tell everybody. Don't think that a, you don't have anything anyone would want or that you'll never become a victim because you don't have anything anyone would want. I can talk to any company, right. regardless of what they work and tell them what a cyber bad actor would want either access to their network to be able to launch attacks. Like the, the stuff we were talking about before you started recording, um, with the domain stuff yeah. or you know or the or just your intellectual property or the your customer information that you have something someone wants so so along those lines with i feel like we've, we've done a good job of leading up to <laughs> the the one thing that everybody can't get enough of and and i had a really hard time when i was with the school district with um protecting students essentially from themselves with things right. like tiktok Yep. And and others, uh, Timu is one because it's shopping related, and so it's very popular. You see it, and if you if you use Flipboard or any other news uh, source, you you tend to get advertisements for for that. And like, hey, get the you know Michael Kors bag for twelve dollars. You're like, oh yeah, that makes perfect sense that it would be twelve dollars. Right. Yep. Um. But but to your point, and and we see the the value, and so taking TikTok out for a second, platforms like. YouTube and uh, Instagram and Facebook all have some form of way that uh, users of those platforms can make money through advertising and, and other things. And so, of course, TikTok has come onto the scene with a similar structure for someone to make money, but and, and obviously compelling. And they've done a really good job that we saw in YouTube world where it's like you watch this video and 
now six more videos show up in your queue that have a going almost deeper into that that draw that took you to the first video and we see that in the in the TikTok space so of course there's a huge draw to want to continue consuming TikTok videos so without jumping all the way to the nation state stuff hmm. what was like the first clue around TikTok might be bad that put TikTok as an example on the radar for anybody well, I can tell you why it was for me. And again, being both having a cyber and a counterintelligence background and an educator background. Sure. I look at the look at the China's very smart. I don't even want to get to the China piece. I'm going to start with the China because they're very yeah, yeah. smart because they're they're forward thinking. They're not concerned about what TikTok means today. They're they're concerned about what does TikTok mean in 10 years. And right. maybe in 10 years it's gone and there's something else. But think about it now. You have all of these. You know, it's not only teenage kids, it's adults too. And I've been Absolutely. interviewed, I've been interviewed on a bunch of different news stations about TikTok. And I, one station edited me out and, and took the one piece I said was, if you're just a business owner using TikTok for advertisement, you're probably reasonably safe. Now I said a bunch of other bad stuff too, but that's the one piece they took out for me. But anyway, I, I digress. Right. But that's think the whole, uh, yeah, I'll <laughs> go ahead and put, you know, $18 a month towards, you know, ad placement in a platform that I know is being consumed by those that would shop with me. What harm is there? And and I think that's they missed the whole point. Right. So if you think about so think about the teenage, let's think about the teenagers. And because with all the and there's plenty of evidence to show that all the data that you put into TikTok is going to Chinese servers where the, the state the Chinese nation state actors can review it, look at it, do whatever they want. Even if they aren't today, even if they're not, right? Right. Like, even, to your point. Even, correct. Ten years from now, that that's a treasure trove of data. If it hasn't gone away, and even if it's gone away, the data probably didn't go away. And here's my here's my concern, right? Because everybody, the whole thing with TikTok is putting your face on it. It's a narcissistic sure. tool that everybody wants to show what you're doing. So you've got these 15, 16, 17, 18 year old kids who are doing all these TikTok videos. China now knows what you look like. In 10 years, when you're an adult, you may decide, have an epiphany at some point in college where, you know, maybe I want to work for the government. Maybe I want to work for the FBI. Maybe I want to work for the CIA, NSA. I want to be, I want to help, help the country. Right. You're never traveling outside of the country because China now knows what you look like. So you can't travel under covert name as a, as a CIA operative into China or into any of the associated countries because they know what you look like. They have your facial recognition. So I, I think that's a th an area that people kind of bypass and don't think about. And again, for the majority of people using it, that's not going to be a big concern for them. But what about, hey, I'm filming myself and here is my brother that works for Raytheon. And we're talking whatever. Sure. And, and now, so China knows I we need information from Raytheon. In, so they now know that John, the brother of Sam, right. works at Raytheon. Where does he work? Oh, he works in missile development. All right, that's interesting to us. Maybe he can give us some information. Goes on the board, yeah. Goes on the board. So let's now take our OPM data we stole in 2015. Oh yeah, he's got a top secret security clearance. Let's take our Equifax data we stole in 2017. Oh, he's got $55,000 worth of debt because we know from the Blue Cross Anthem compromise that, that in is 2017. Has stage three cancer. Exactly yeah. right. So now let's go find John. And say, hey, we can solve all of your problems. We just need three files off of your system. So that's kind of so, where it all ties together. So flip it around for a second, because obviously, like you said, th these are the scenarios that if you're talking to a 15 or 16 year old, they're like, A, I don't want to be in the CIA, and B, I yeah, don't right. want to go to China, <laughs> and C, so on and so forth. Yep. But then you have the, uh, the the scenario that I could see playing out where they decide to run for office. And there is something on TikTok that was hugely damaging 
TikTok's right. now defunct and gone. So of course the data is gone, right? Like no one's going to see oh, sure. it. And, and now we're back to a uh, higher level of influence scenario than what we even saw in past elections where we know there was some level of, regardless of how deep it went, there was definitely uh, n- news or fake news manipulation happening across. And, and we see that even when it's one party going against the other, like a, we'll create an advertisement. We know it's not true, but if you have the right audience and it's emotional truth and it yep. happens, but this is a scenario that's like, we're taking that to an extreme with lots of power behind it. Even if it wasn't say in this case, China, it could be, you know, they're going to sell the data too, right? Like this isn't just China going, Hey, we have the data. We're, we're the guys that can, you know, influence the world. Now we, we know who the operatives are and all those things. Now it's like, Hey, we've got this database. We made a list of high profile targets. You have a beef with the United States. China's hands are clean. Cause all we did was sell the information out of the database. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the, and I, I think we will not see when we, I, honestly, we may say the result, we may see that next year. There's I mean, enough data out there per what you're, absolutely. I mean, mm-hmm. we know, data, you know, TikTok didn't evolve into TikTok yesterday, right? Like it's been around for a while. And and I think that's one of the biggest challenges we see. And it's not just TikTok. I mean, we see this with things like Meta and some of the Facebook mm-hmm. stuff and other, other brands, you know, and it's not even just those that are high profile, like any, any company that allows you to sign up on their website or through messenger, however they do it to have access to something for free they're getting money in some way, shape or form for you to participate in whatever program platform they are offering. So where's that data going? Um, or things like Otter AI or some of the others that are like, you know, transcribing your your Zoom call and, you know, giving you great insights. It's like, okay, well, what kind of conversations are you having that you know for certain is being recorded so you can use it later? And for those listening, I did do air quotes. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right. Now, the, the one advantage to the U.S. companies, if they did that, at least you have a legal mechanism to sue them if you wanted to. Now, they're going to have a ton of lawyers, and that may be ineffective, but the advertisement in itself may – I mean, the public, publicity may be bad. But you can't do that with China. If China misuses the data, no one's no one's being going to be held accountable for any of that stuff. But to even some degree- if. Even if Project Texas goes forward and they put all their stuff in Texas, whoop de doo I guarantee you there's some backdoor leading back to Beijing somewhere. We use NordVPN. It's fine. <laughs> right. Yes. So I think that's interesting, though, because I think like to your point. Yeah. So let's just say U.S. based, you know, you have you have legal recourse potentially, even though you may be up against the the the, you know, the wall of lawyers. But I think there's something here that you can't account for whether they are U.S. based or not. And it is once the data has been put into their hands and once that data then leaves for whatever reason to go somewhere else, that game is the, the, the you know, the ball is out of the park. The, the train has left the station. It doesn't matter what we go after. Yes, you might be financially compensated, but does that mean you're going to be looking over your shoulder for the rest of your life? The, the passion project or the career path you wanted to go on? secret service or otherwise has now been sorry we we did go through and you did make through all the tests just fine but you're on tiktok and you've been disqualified for you know senior level top secret clearance yeah that or we may get to the point where all these people running for office like hey everybody's got a naked tiktok video what do we care just another right one, so who cares right so the, wow. yeah, that that's a sad day when all of our politicians were, were former tiktok influencers that's going to be rough yeah we're I, you know that's what what is that um we're looking at what 15 years, roughly. 
You have to be 32 to run for office or 42? Uh, 25 for a congressman, 30 for a senator, and 35 for president. So 35 for president. So we're looking at roughly 10 years, 10 plus years for someone mm-hmm. to to be uh, in that that position of influence or, or, and then some. We, yeah. we got I mean, obviously it's sooner than that for other roles, but like, right. like best case scenario, it's still only, you know, a year to five years out on yeah. this being hugely everything in the news. When we talk, well, we're right around the corner. We're at a midterms right now. Yeah, well, I will say if we're only going to elect 80-year-olds, and maybe it's longer than we think, but hopefully we get off of that. Fair point, soon. fair <laughs> point, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's all about how much money you have, not that's how another, much you know. Yeah. That's a different podcast for another day. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> how much hair do we have on the top of our heads is right. an indicator of whether or not you'll be in office anytime soon. Yes. Yeah. Can, um, you make a, can you step over a sandbag? If so, you can run for president. Right. <laughs> we're not going to do any other physical trials, <laughs> but that one right. is key. Yes. And also the sandbag that we had you step over was actually for beanbag toss. So <laughs> raise the bar <laughs> yeah, real high. Right. Exactly. So we've got a little bit of time left. We talked, you know, largely about nation state China. We used TikTok, I think, as a great example, but that's not where it stops, right? And and so like understanding the, the counterintelligence piece a little bit and what you've shared, like how do we give some educational guidance to not just the businesses, but I think also end users, because end users work for businesses. Um, we're only as secure as the people that we educate. Um, how do you navigate this? Because I don't think the answer is like, stay away from social media. That's not what we're right. saying. Um, we very specifically picked up t- TikTok. Um, but I think it also means like helping to educate and understand, like, don't give information out just because someone asks for it. TikTok yeah. would be the worst scenario. Right. Well, I think so. My tagline on my podcast is understand the threats targeting you so you can assess your risk, proceed wisely. I, those are the three things I always say. And I think the problem is most people don't really know the th- don't understand the threat. So we've got to kind of start there and just say, look, here's here's what cyber bad actors do and why they're threats yep. and talk all about it from the, the script kitties at the bottom all the way up to the nation state. Now, you can kind of like depending on who I'm talking to, if I'm talking to a bank, I usually don't tell them to worry about China hacking them. Hacking China's not hacking banks for money. No, Korea, they, have, they have banks with right, money. Right. North Korea does a little bit, but they do mostly ransomware related stuff. So it's kind of that middle criminal organized crime stuff. But if you're talking to a clear defense contract, you're going to give them a different bit of information. And then from an individual perspective, I think helping them understand, I work in this particular business sector, and maybe now I work from home because of COVID, now I'm working from home. So you have an extra level of risk there because you know, how, how is your company securing your device at home? Are they allowing you to use your personal device? Are they giving you a device with a VPN? Then maybe they're using NordVPN. So China's getting anyway, who knows, whatever, but again, I just want to, I just want to, uh, you know, so uh, some side note here, I, I'm not picking on Nord. It was just an example for a product called a VPN that you can buy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not, I'm not judging Nord. I think, I think you Nord for not sponsoring this video. (laughs) Yeah. I think, and is it, is ExpressVPN, they're the group that owns, they don't like private internet access and all that stuff, right? Because I have, I use private internet access myself. That's my- I mean, yeah, again, look, look, I'm not, the the point was, is that you can use a VPN, whether it's made by a good company or not to do nefarious things to get around certain things, right? Like (laughs) I want to watch Netflix when I'm at college, but now with their new rules, now if I use a VPN, they would have no way of knowing that I'm not actually connecting to them from my parents' house, whatever. Right, yeah, Um, So I, I have a, um, I don't want to call it a caveat to, to your three, but I feel like 
if we assuming we can solve the the understanding of the threat actors and the, the intent that they have largely in in different scenarios and why information is important even though we don't think it is it to me it's the second one the risk and i think we don't do this doesn't happen a lot we don't do a good job of understanding our own risk because we can talk about security all day long, right? Like I know that using say NordVPNs, because we've been using that as an example, <laughs> yeah. it does secure traffic from point A to at least a point B and potentially beyond. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that data is suddenly protected and secure through its life cycle from point A through wherever it ends up, because at some point it has to get decrypted. And I think that because we often associate like, well, I'm using a VPN, so everything's secure. So I don't even think about what I'm sending. So I, I've done the security part and I think I'm secure. So I'm not worrying about or even trying to understand what my risks are. You know, in saying that, that you made me think about something because so since I retired, I'm trying to blend education and cybersecurity as my two passions, right? And I think what no one's developed and maybe it's something I'll work on developing is uh, your own personal cyber risk evaluation. Like obviously, businesses have compliance frameworks and they can use that to determine their risk and, and all that kind of stuff. But from an individual perspective, how does an individual determine their cyber risk? They have no metric or mechanism to do that. And so if I you think, don't do that, can you really understand a business risk fully? Because every person that works there has a component in that KPI that determines the level of risk you actually have. Exactly. Right. So when you leave your business, you don't think about your cyber risk anymore because you're just going home to your home network and no one's going to hack me at home because I don't have anything anyone would want and all that I kind of stuff. I only work at Raytheon between eight and five. So right, I only worry yep. between eight and yep. five. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I don't have to worry about the social. I'm not on TikTok. You know, my daughter is and she takes pictures of me and talks about me, but I'm not on it. So what's the big deal and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I think being able, having some kind of risk evaluation is kind of where we need to go from a personal perspective. Now, whether people do it or not, I mean, you get to a point where I talk about TikTok talks on blue in the face. I got I got former FBI agents who were telling me, well, what's the big deal? I, I still use, I just like watching the videos. Yeah, because he's I'm retired. Like, I, I know, but still, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, but it still has, still has information. I'm not, but so right. I'm like, I'm like, great. I'm not going to be able to talk to you. All I can do is tell you what the threats are. If, if your personal risk assessment is I have no risk and I'm going to do this thing, God bless and Godspeed, because I can't, right, I can't but, convince but isn't you otherwise. This, I mean, not to trivialize some of this, but like we have car insurance, whether we sure. want to have car insurance or not, but that doesn't mean that with or without car insurance, we're out there going like, man, I think I'm going to drive on the opposite side of the road today and just see if I can get to point <laughs> my destination without you know having a head on collision. We don't operate that way, but yet there is no real current education in place that helps a user understand like no different than you have car insurance that you hope you never have to use. We're giving you guidance to say, here's a reason not to use this app. There are plenty of apps out there, and many of them are just as good, if not better, than the one that you've chosen because you didn't know about the other ones or because all your friends are on it. I mean, I say this to my kids all the time, and they hate me for it. Um, hate's a strong word. But, <laughs> Dad, um, all my friends are on Snapchat. Why won't you let me be on Snapchat? I'm like, because Snapchat is a very misleading app with regards to what happens to your data when you're using it. But yeah, but dad, we use that to communicate with our friends. I'm like, guess what? Friends will figure out a way to communicate with you if you're not on Snapchat. Right. And, and of course, like now they, my oldest just graduated. He's never had Snapchat all through junior high and high school. And you know what? Surprisingly, he still has friends. 
Yeah. Now, now, now when he goes to college, he's going to be able to put Snapchat on his phone if he wants to. Uh, he could try, <laughs> but at that point, it's going to be hey, so now you can take over paying for your own cell phone. There you go. Yes, very good. Yep. No, you're that's absolutely right. Exactly. And I think, and, and again, it's, I don't know, I think it's an out of sight, out of mind thing. If as All long as no one's that, in my, yeah. as long as I'm not in my, no one's in my network, what do I have to care about? I got a ring doorbell. I got, a, I mean, how many people know how much, how many devices are on their network? You and I probably um, know how many are on our networks, but we may be in the in the very small minority. But I will tell you, throw a new software package on there that helps you identify what's on your network and you will identify devices you didn't know you have because if you have kids in your life, devices show up that you're like, oh, where'd you get that? Oh, so-and-so gave it to me. They don't want it anymore. I'm like, how long? That's a nine-year-old Samsung tablet. I don't have any idea where this thing's been. And you're trying to put it on the network? No. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. You, yeah. Yeah. Fortunately, my kids are out of the house, so it's just me and my wife. And my wife is very tech adverse, so she has she adds nothing to my network, which is good. That uh, that is nice. And and again, I'm I'm not necessarily afraid of those things. And it's like like we'll just use Ring as an example. We know that there's potential for Ring devices to be compromised. We know there's devices like uh, the Echoes and the others that can be yep. compromised. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean that they're bad devices to have. It's like, but but if you don't understand what your risk is with the device, then you'll never know what potentially is being compromised under your nose because you don't know anything about it. Buying devices because it's cool and convenient is the first step in a downward spiral to you've been compromised. Right. Well, I remember when the Alexa first came out, how many stories were there of people picking up conversations and sending it to somebody else? Uh, absolutely. I mean, or or even those that have been, it's been used in court for yep. the, the, it is the, it is the eyewitness. And it's like, wait a second, who is yep. that again? Yeah, I again, I, I think to your point, this isn't about solving for apps that can be vulnerable or that show or pose risk for an individual. It's recognizing what are the risks and is it a risk I'm willing to take? Right. I think we largely have a population, not just in the United States, but around the globe that are not considering the risks. They're using it because it's convenient, cool, and fun. And at some point that will come back to haunt them. Hopefully not not in a terrible fashion, hopefully, right. but, and I will say, I will say this expanding that risk to others unintended. So take a look at, Hey, we need to get grandma an iPhone so that she, we can communicate and FaceTime with her so she can see the grandkids. So grandma gets, grandma gets this iPhone and just says, Hey, click this thing so we can do FaceTime. But no one looks at, Hey, she gets a text message that said, or she gets a phone call that says, Johnny's been kidnapped. I need a thousand dollars. No, they're not talking about that associated threat. I mean, it could happen. It doesn't necessarily have to happen on a smartphone, but they're not talking. I mean, the, the threat to out to the, to our older generation is huge and no one's, and that's a, just a whole side risk area that no one's talking about either. Even when it's logical, right? I, I've had this happen to my own father-in-law. He, it's not the end of the world in this particular case, but he got a phone call that they obviously knew enough about him to get him to divulge information and ironically, when you're over the age of 70, divulging information about somebody, if I were calling them, I don't have to know them to get pretty accurate feeling like I'm their best friend because, they're, yeah, I'm calling right. about your back pain. And they're like, how did you know? It's like, well, you're 72. I'm guessing that you've sat before in your life at least yeah. more than once. And, and it's unfortunate because it goes back, and I hate to say this, the Nigerian prince facts from way back is still alive and well 
in nine or 10 or plus platform forms. And it's the same message. And you, you just said it like Johnny's been kidnapped. That's really no different than give me a thousand dollars and I'll yep. give you a million dollars. Well, I got it today. I was, I was actually getting an, an infusion for some iron stuff and I got a thing say, Hey, are you Serena, the, the piano teacher? And I knew exactly where it was going to go. I was going to say, no, they said, Oh, I'm sorry. I hope I didn't bother you. You know, where do you live? What's your name? So yeah. I got, I got to the, do you well, play the piano? Didn't... Do you like the I, piano? I hope I didn't bother you, but yeah. are you in North Carolina also? I said, no. And they said something else. I go, could you just tell me what the scam is and let's get, let's get it over with. And then that's the last I heard from them. Right. Right. Well, I mean, like uh, I remember the pig butchering scam and we could probably yep. riff on scams all day long, but that one <laughs> yeah. is very familiar as far as China goes, because funny enough, it's actually a legitimate uh, cryptocurrency exchange. It's just not real legit when you try to pull your money out. Mm -hmm. I had a guy, I was at a conference and a guy, I talked about pig butchering in the conference. I said, here's what it is. Here's what will happen. A guy came up to me afterwards and said that exactly that exact thing happened to me. I yes, had one it, since you are former FBI. I did have one working with the FBI and it was a, uh, it used to be a client of mine and it was an employee of theirs that this happened to. I believe they were up to over a half million dollars in profit uh, on their exchange. Um, and the, the, the win was figured it out. Right. So, but still playing along like at this point, they know they're probably not gonna get anything out. So they just kept, you know, continuing to let the cryptocurrency grow, got the FBI involved. And they were able to make it so that they couldn't ever take the money out. So the wallets are now cold, but they didn't win, right? Like, I mean, yeah. the reality is the threat actors didn't win. So they're going to go try again. But now that many more people have become wary to this is a real thing. And if and 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 I think it's really cool to see this that, you know, I would have even said this before that going back four or five years. Yeah, you know, report of the FBI, maybe something will happen. And now you see stuff getting reported and it's like, hey, we seized, seized this server that has yeah. your data on it. So, you know, the, the resources, the skills, I mean, we were largely all, I think, behind the eight ball when this first started to to grow mm -hmm. and evolve. And I think the world is changing. We, we, we're definitely starting to see real fighting back. I think this is the first week in a long time where I didn't get that LinkedIn message that starts the pig butchering conversation. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've, I've had so, a couple of them. I've got them to WhatsApp and I've actually held them out for a while. And then I take that, I take all that text and post it on LinkedIn. So here's, here's a pig butchering example. Feel free. to Yeah. So Darren, uh, we, we went a little over that's normal on this show. Cause we tend to go down rabbit holes as always. Is sure. there anything you want to share with um, my uh, audience that, that might be of interest that we didn't cover in today's episode? Well, I just say, you know, if, uh, if you're on LinkedIn, feel free to follow me. It's Darren Mott, D-A-R-R-E-N-M-O-T-T. -T. It's easy to find. Um, Cyber Guy is the podcast. Um, I kind of focus it on um, information for business, information for individuals. I try to pre present it from a from a very basic. It's not a technical podcast. It's very untechnical. Gotcha. It's it's kind of just it's kind of talking about like we're talking about here. What are the threats? How do you assess your risk? How do you keep yourself safe? Because my oh, goal I is if I can make people not have to call the FBI because they had a problem, then it's a win for me. So that's absolutely that's my passion. So I, pre I appreciate you having me on. Hey, thank you. Uh, well, uh, for those of you listening, uh, this is MSP thirteen thirty seven. Thanks and have a great week. Thank you.